This is David Cushton, the editor-in-chief of SportsPro. With me, as ever, is SportsPro magazine editor James Emmett. James, hello. Hello, David. And where are we and why are we here? We're, we're in the bowels of the Grimaldi Forum um, in uh, Monaco, in Monte Carlo, and we're here for Sportel, um, the, the market and symposium for anyone and everyone involved in the sports broadcast industry, um, broadcasters, rights holders, agents, um, and they're all here over three or four days um, meeting each other, bear-hugging each other, buying and selling with each other. We've been here for a couple of days. As we speak to you, this is uh, Thursday lunchtime. The uh, event is running uh, Tuesday to Friday uh, this year. Um, but we've been able to get a sense already of uh, what's going on and, and some of the trends. And we've obviously been getting around and talking to people. Certainly a positive vibe. Uh, this is the 25th anniversary of Sportel. There have been a series of special events to uh, uh, commemorate that this week. Um, but uh, you do get a vibe at this uh, at this event. It is a genuine buyers and sellers marketplace. Business happens here. And in, in previous years, uh, there has been a touch of uh, negativity around the place, a bit of pessimism. Not so this year. No, that's true. Um, and you're right, the vibe has been a positive one. It's been vibey um, because people are buying. Um, and, and as a result of that, people are selling. Um, and uh, that creates a positive vibe. Um, a couple of um, particularly active sellers. Uh, we're down here in the bowels of the building and there are meeting rooms set up for presentations, largely for football properties. Has, private meeting rooms. Private meeting rooms, football properties, it has to be said. Um, but a couple um, that are active in the market, FIFA, um, Nicholas Erickson, the head of FIFA TV, is here, and they have um, a few territories left to sell for the 2018 and 2022 process. Um, a couple of um, key European markets, um, France, I think Spain as well, but I'm not sure, um, and one or two others, but the process is largely done. They're, they're here trying to finish that off, I suppose. Um, next of all, um, at one of the new agencies, CAA11, um, which was founded a couple of years ago, as basically another team marketing, a, a, a secondary, almost in-house UEFA commercial um, entity. And that was set up to deal with the, uh, the media rights and the sponsorship rights for the qualifiers for Euro 2016, Euro 2016 itself, and then the qualifiers for the FIFA World Cup in 2018. Um, they've tied up all their deals for the qualifiers, obviously, which are now into the second um, week of football, so to speak, with uh, the qualifiers for Euro um, 2016. Those are all tied up. But I've just spoken to some of the guys from CAA 11, and um, they are presenting um, down here, trying to tie up the um, European broadcasters in 34 European territories for uh, Euro 2016 itself. Um, so they're presenting over uh, four long days for them, um, but that should be done imminently. Staying in uh, football, it's been very interesting uh, and noticeable uh, this week to watch uh, Richard Scudamore, the chief executive of the Premier League, uh, diving in and out of quite intriguing-looking uh, meetings and, and working the room, uh, so to speak, here. Particularly interesting, of course, that he's here and not at 
about uh, uh, leaders, another big conference that's happening in London this week. Uh, Sportel and leaders clashing for, I believe, the first time uh, this year. But Richard Scudamore is here because everybody is anticipating over the next few weeks, couple of months, the uh, the next uh, Premier League uh, uh, UK TV rights battle will uh, kick off in earnest. Uh, last year, last time, of course, uh, BT were the surprise package, uh, uh, starting their move uh, into competition with Sky and lots of uh, chit chat and intrigue here this week as to exactly how the next uh, rights packages will be uh, divvied up and exactly how much money the Premier League will make uh, in a what looks to be a, a, an increasingly competitive market. BT and Sky, most people assume, will, will go big again and uh, Discovery have been here in their uh, in their new role really within the uh, the sports rights market as the uh, as the parent company essentially of Eurosport. Uh, you interviewed uh, JB Perrette from uh, Discovery in the uh, uh, most recent edition of Sports Pro magazine, James, the October edition, where he really set out the strategy for Eurosport. Um, what do you? What have you picked up this week in terms of? Uh, the likelihood of them making a, a, a real uh, pitch for some of these rights in this next cycle that's coming up? Well, I've not picked up anything this week, David, because I got right to the heart of the matter a couple of weeks ago when I spoke to JB Perrette in London. So there was nothing else to pick up? Well, there was nothing new. Um, and in fact, I mean, there was plenty that was picked up by me a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, <but laughs> so with, with that in mind... What was that? Yeah. Well... Um, so Discovery um, completed uh, their takeover of Eurosport, I suppose, in May. And um, since then, they've been a bit quiet, um, but they're sort of coming out and, and they, they understand themselves what their strategy is. Now, it's important to say it, it's sort of a three-pronged strategy. Um, first of all, um, they're going to be investing in um, rights acquisitions. Now, this has got a lot of people excited, particularly in England, and they're supposed to be a potential new player for domestic Premier League rights in England, challenging Sky and BT. JB Perrette's done, gone some way to sort of dampen those rumours. He said they're not helpful, but he won't rule them out entirely. Um, the key thing, his key message here is that they will be investing in general in rights, but they will be both selective and disciplined in that investment. And it's not as if they've just parked a, a, a tank on the lawn and they're firing cash bullets um, at, at uh, any property uh, that gets in their in their sights. That's just simply not going to happen, David. That's just not happening. No. A couple of other strands. Sorry, on the on the discovery thing. Um, the Eurosport's always been known for its um, pan-European um, identity. Um, they'll they'll be uh, keeping that, and, and they say they're going to be supercharging that. Um, but but they're also going to um, work quite hard on bringing up. Um, Eurosport's regional operations in, in, in each of the important markets around Europe. So there will be, and we're seeing that playing playing out now with, um, there's, there's been a, a batch of MotoGP rights gobbled up um, by the, the Eurosport, um, Discovery-funded Eurosport uh, in, in particular markets around Europe of late. Do you know um, the average age of a British Eurosport viewer? I do because you told me before, but I'll let you reveal it. It's 59, which, uh, which seems well, certainly higher than, not that I've ever given it any particular thought, but it, it sort of, I, I feel it's higher than, uh, 
Uh, Do you feel it's higher than the average age of uh, Discovery viewer? No, I don't, because that's 64, apparently. So um, I'm not sure what There's good synergy there. There's good synergy between the two organisations. What that tells us, I'm I'm not quite sure. Uh, Let's rattle through some of the other things that have been uh, going on and, and really forming part of the conversation as we give you a flavour of uh, this event which is um, you know it attracts uh, around about two and a half thousand people thousand companies from 60 plus countries so it's a a genuinely global um, marketplace and they really do as we said uh, pitch it as a marketplace Um, the Olympics obviously always a a, uh, an interesting topic and particularly uh, at this moment when uh, proposed the, there is a proposal out there um, that the IOC is, is considering and a, has a working group uh, adding some detail to uh, for an Olympic TV channel, an IOC run Olympic uh, TV channel which was part of Thomas Back, the IOC president's uh, agenda um, or manifesto when he was uh, uh, trying to win the presidency of the IOC last year. Uh, it now forms part of his Agenda 2020 uh, plan, which is really going to determine the, the future uh, shape and direction of the IOC. Uh, lots of uh, talk about that Olympic TV channel um, here. And uh, I think generally it's, it's assuming it will happen, as most people assume it will uh, it's been received uh, it's being received well there's an enthusiasm for it but there is a a modicum of of, of concern of worry from uh, existing Olympic rights holding broadcasters as to exactly how it will work and what the future dynamics will be given that um, they're paid quite a lot of money in quite a lot of cases for uh, for Olympic rights mm-hmm. and they don't want to have those rights impinged upon mm-hmm. uh, it's important to say on this that um it's not a fully formed uh, product yet. Um, it's still very much um, a working title, a, a, a working idea, and, and consultation is still going on about it. It will be proposed as part of a set of proposals um, at the extraordinary IOC meeting in December here in Monaco. Um, and in all likelihood, it will be passed and it will happen. Um, what it will look like, no one yet knows. Um, it's likely to start out online um, to begin with. Um, I spoke with Timo Lume yesterday. Timo Lume, the, um, the head of the IOC's um, TV service, but also um, the guy who makes the biggest deals in the Olympic movement. He leads on all the TV rights deals. He leads on all the top marketing sponsorship deals. Um, uh, so he's a man in the know, and he is... Uh, well. He's, he's leading on, on the, the formulation of this plan for an Olympic TV channel. And he stressed, first of all, he stressed that it would not be competing with existing Olympic broadcasters. It, was, it would be very much a, a complementary service. He also stressed the need to work together to, uh, with existing partners to, to sort of use them for content creation almost. And, and, and he did say that all the discussions so far have been very positive around that. Um, and again, it, it's it's a case of wait and see. Anything else that uh, you feel we should uh, mention? I, I suppose I could mention the uh, uh, the very interesting um, 
uh, interview that I did with, uh, or interesting meeting that I had with uh, a certain Mike Tyson, who has uh, been here as one of the star guests. Sportel, uh, the organisers of the event, like to invite a few star guests to either uh, present or receive awards. And uh, Mike Tyson is in town here in uh, Monaco this week uh, for a performance of his new one-man show, which is based on his uh, recently published autobiography. But he was here on business as well because he's getting into the boxing business in a bigger way. He, uh, with a, an entrepreneur uh, from uh, the US called uh, Gary Jonas, has set up um, a company called Iron Mike Productions, which actually used to be Jonas's uh, company, Equinity Sports. But they've teamed up uh, together. And the idea really is uh, to uh, try and clean up and uh, uh, make boxing uh, a better proposition for fans and try and win back some of the fan base that most people believe uh, uh, boxing has been losing to the likes of uh, UFC and, and all the other uh, mixed martial arts properties, promotions that have uh, cropped up in recent years. The, the crux of this is that it's Iron Mike Productions, not Iron Mike pr Promotions. And the idea is uh, to try and uh, move boxing away from the current situation where they feel that boxing uh, promoters are promoters of boxers rather than the sport of boxing, which isn't just a pun. There's a sort of, uh, there is some sense behind that. Um, is, in, it, is it a pun? I'm not sure it is a pun actually, but there is some sense behind it and that's the important thing. Uh, they uh, feel that the current uh, big promoters especially um, are promoters of boxers and they will not uh, in many cases, have their boxer, their favoured man, going up against the next best challenger. So you, you rarely, as a boxing fan, see the two best boxers fight because of various uh, uh, promoter clashes. Uh, whereas uh, Iron Mike Productions, they'll also be doing their own TV production, hence the name uh, of these fights. It has got a crop of young boxers who they're going to try and develop and hope will rise through the ranks um, with the mindset of fighting the best opponents and hopefully in a few years their plan is to uh, um, to create a, a boxing network they don't want to work particularly with the likes of ESPN or Showtime or any of the other traditional boxing uh, networks in the United States they want to go it alone and, and they feel that the only way to to change the mindset in boxing is by starting with a group of young boxers building them up and obviously the the cachet attached uh, to uh, the Mike Tyson name, the Mike Tyson brand is, uh, um, you know, it will be advantageous to them. So that's one to watch. It is noticeable, James, that the, uh, the number of fight sports uh, uh, properties exhibiting in a big way here at Sportel seems, uh, seems to be down year on year. Mm, that's right. I mean, we saw a few years ago, I'd say probably about five years ago, we saw the first explosion of fight sports here at the market um, at Sportel, headed by the UFC. They made a big splash and, you know, in the UFC's wake came a lot of smaller, more obscure MMA properties. Um, anyone and everyone um, seemed to have some sort of fight product to sell. Um, as you say, that seems to have calmed. Um, the market has, um, I suppose, Flattened, not flattened out, but become established now. Um, some of these players have been consolidated, usually into the UFC's business. Um, uh, yeah, it seems to be a, a lot more settled market now, fight sports. Anything else to add from uh, your side? Yeah, a couple of um, tidbits 
David, um, going back to the Olympic TV channel, um, you mentioned that um, it was uh, Thomas Bach's idea and, and it certainly is um, one of his pet projects, uh, that's for sure, and it was in his manifesto. But um, wandering around the exhibition hall, some, uh, I wouldn't say controversy, but I'd say um, some dissenting voices uh, about that, uh, that, that concept um, uh, from the judo corner of, uh, of the room. Um, this, of course, pertains to an idea that Marius Visa is said to have had, the uh, president of the International Judo Federation and Sport Accord, um, an idea that he had, um, this sport TV idea, um, and the judo guy is very much saying that uh, something that uh, Thomas Back pinched from uh, Mr. Visa. Uh, whether anyone will own up to that uh, remains to be seen. Um, uh, something else from the CA11 discussion we were having earlier, um, I think the expectation is um, that we um, should anticipate UEFA finalising their League of Nations concept um, before the end of the year. And so we'll have a, a, a firmer idea of how the rights are going to be packaged up and, and apportioned out uh, following the, um, the FIFA World Cup in 2018. Excellent. Well, hopefully that's given uh, you, dear listener, a flavour of uh, what's been going on this week at uh, Sportel. You'll read much more about it with lots of good stuff coming up in Sports Pro magazine, of course. And also uh, you can have a look at the Sports Pro website at sportspromedia.com for my chit chat with Mike Tyson on his uh, uh, return to the business of boxing. Uh, so uh, do check all that out. I think, James, it's probably time to make for the airport. Mm. Uh, au revoir. Goodbye. <laughs>